To know and not to do is not to know. You can know all the things to live a balanced life, but if you don't do them, what good are they? Welcome to The Chill Factory, where we make work, school, relationships, and life less stressful. I'm Jordan Friedman. It was the mid-80s. Big hair was everywhere. Madonna was number one. The original Top Gun with Tom Cruise was in theaters, and I was a student at the University of Maryland. It was there that my career in stress management education began, but at the time, I had no idea that such a career was even possible. The second person I met on that path is my guest today in The Chill Factory. Our work lives ended up being very similar, but except for a few hellos over the past 35 years, we had never worked together or sat down and talked about stress and life until now. Brian Luke Seward is one of the foremost experts in the field of stress management and a pioneer in the fields of mind-body-spirit healing and corporate health promotion. His wisdom can be found in PBS specials, college graduation speeches, medical seminars, sermons, and keynote addresses all over the world. He's authored more than 18 books, including the classic bestsellers Stand Like Mountain, Flow Like Water, The Art of Calm, and Stressed is Dessert, spelled backward. This is part one of my conversation with Luke, and part two is the next episode. We talked about everything from people's biggest question about stress to probably the best thing you can do to reduce your stress, and a lot of things in between, including Luke's gig as the stress management guru for the White House. Our interview took place in the middle of another horrific spree of mass shootings in the United States. So the serious stress of our times is part of our conversation throughout. I began our chat by asking Luke how his stress management career started and what keeps him going. When we both went our separate ways from graduating at the University of Maryland, I went on to become a sports psychologist for the Olympic biathlon team. It was the uh, 88 Olympics coming up, and they were looking for some um, some people to help out with their, their gold-winning goals. So I worked with some Olympic athletes in terms of competitive anxiety, in terms of uh, improving performance stress reduction, and I loved it. I mean, it was the epitome of the, the uh, idea of, of being at your highest potential. And when the Olympics ended in 88, uh, the, my job ended, and so I took this job at the American University in D.C., and um, they said to me, um, we had this class called Stress Management, and we're going to give you two sections. And it, <laughs> it was kind of funny because this class was thought to be like a piece of cake class. I mean, it was like almost like a joke. And, and to me, I love all the possibilities. I, I did all kinds of things like, you know, from art therapy to massage therapy to Tai Chi and stuff. And, and people were saying like, this is great. People start bringing in their, their uh, girlfriends, their boyfriends, their parents to class. And I was thinking like, you know, back when I was in college, people would skip class. So I knew I had something and, and it's been just a wonderful ride ever since. And of course, you know, that long ago, I didn't really see this as my career path either. I kind of, I suppose, fell into it, but um, I love it. And I love, I love helping people reach their highest potential, which I think is a broader umbrella of what stress management and resiliency is all about. Yeah. If I were to ask myself that question, I would also say I love it. And I think there are two things I love about it. One is I love when somebody says to me, oh, that technique you just taught me, that really helped. Or I used that when I got 
angry the other day and it was fantastic. I'm going to use it forever. That's just so satisfying. And I think the other part is that all of this stuff that we teach has really helped me a lot too. So it, it works both ways. You know, Luke, you mentioned starting out in sports psychology and working with Olympians to help them reduce stress to improve their performance, right? Right, exactly, yeah. And it did. We we did pretty well. The athletes did much better than they had in the previous Olympics. And they, they also, I mean, the same thing you just said, that they, they, they saw both for professional reasons and for personal reasons why this was really beneficial to do relaxation techniques and, and coping skills and, and team dynamics and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's got a lot of depth to it. And, and the same thing with my students. Like every now and then I'll get an email from a student saying like, you know, that thing that you taught us about humor therapy or, you know, when you taught us Tai Chi and brought in that guest speaker, I, I thought you were crazy. But um, it turns out that I, uh, I love Tai Chi now. And, and Jordan, I can tell you this one of the most significant letters I ever got because my approach to stress management is very holistic. I don't do the, the, uh, the biomedical model where basically we just address the symptoms. I, my approach is very holistic in terms of the integration, balance, and harmony of mind, body, spirit, and emotions. So I, one of my fortes is the spiritual approach to stress, relationships, values, and purpose in life. And, and I, I remember I got this letter from this one kid who said to me, um, you know, I thought you were crazy. And I, I just, I, I dreaded going to class because you were going to talk about spirituality. He said, so I, I got out of college and um, turns out I had a drinking problem. And I got pulled over for drunk driving. They said I had a choice, you know, go to jail or go to uh, uh, an education class and recovery. And I walked in there and they're saying the same things that you said. And I felt really at home. And he goes, I haven't had a drink in 11 years. I mean, you can't make this up. This is when you change lives. It's, it's so dynamic. And that's what I love about this topic. It changes lives. Yeah, that's amazing. I think it's still true today when you talk with people about it or you tell them what you do for a living. Oh, I, I teach stress management techniques. Sometimes you still get that blank stare of, hmm, I wonder what that means or, or, oh, do I have to be super spiritual or, you know, I have to learn how to meditate. They're, they're still thinking in somewhat limited ways about what stress management is. So it's, it's amazing to be able to bring to them what I call the whole salad bar of stress management possibilities, right? And like a salad bar, you can try different things and then go back for seconds, thirds, and fourths of what you really like. So stress management is great because stress affects everything, right? It sure does. <laughs> Everything from relationships to finance to eating habits to uh, tech habits. Yeah, it affects everything. And uh, the problem right now is that <laughs> we have so many stressors coming at us from so many different directions. I mean, it's almost comical in a sense. So people who look at me or you and say, you teach stress, what is that? My first thought is there's probably a little bit of denial going on. And secondly, they, they want um, at least an hour's worth of conversation to see what they can glean from it. <laughs> Right. I, I, I uh, said once in, in a book that I wrote that whenever I say I'm a stress management trainer or speaker, the first thing that happens is the person grabs my arm and says, oh, do I need you? So that's, that's a good response to have, right? You know you are onto something when, when that happens. So, Luke, there aren't too many of us in the world who have been doing this for 35 or 40 years. What 
have you seen in that time span change when it comes to stress and people's experience with it and and even your approach to it? Yeah, great question, because things have definitely um, gotten more interesting in the past uh, <laughs> couple decades. I can recall when the word mindfulness was uh, verboten. You couldn't even use the word meditation because it had all kinds of connotations, and we've definitely moved past that. Although I was talking to a friend yesterday, a colleague, and she said that um, mindfulness today has been stripped of its essence and basically become corporatized. And, you know, I thought, to some extent, that's true, but we take baby steps. <laughs> We're trying to get this, this content out. I mean, like, I've seen a lot of things kind of come and go, but I've seen a lot more, I guess, tolerance. You know, my joke is, if you said the word echinacea 40 years ago, the response was gesundheit. Um, <laughs> probably say the same thing with yoga. People thought that was some kind of religion, and now everyone's doing yoga. You know, that's been co become corporatized, too. So I I think that um, it takes a while for things to come into the mainstream, and once they're embraced, um, I think that there's uh, a better aspect for humanity to, to rejoice in that part. So I know that social media and the internet and phones take a lot of the blame uh, today for skyrocketing anxiety rates and depression and stress levels, and indeed it's hard to turn off when you are constantly connected to a device and there's constantly incoming. So I, I would just love to talk with you about this for a little bit because it is a big part of our existence today. Yeah, it's become a public utility. And for that reason, just like water and electricity and lights, you know, we got to have it. You know, the term I heard about 10 years ago, and it's, it's one of the become one of the popular talks I do, is called digital detox. And you're right. I mean, we, we were born and lived before all this stuff. So we know what life can be like without this. But there are people today who this is all they know. And as a consequence, um, you know, they, they raise eyebrows when you say you need to turn that off and, and, uh, and take some time away from that. And they're like, why? You know, it's like taking away my oxygen. The one thing I teach a lot, no matter what topic I teach on stress management, is the issue of or the idea of healthy boundaries. Technology is not bad. It's how we use it or misuse it that is problematic. And so, um, yeah, so there's real real problems with that. And, and there's this new, uh, relatively new term called echotherapy or the idea of spending time in nature and the healing power of nature. And I, I love this because, um, you know, it's so very true that, that, you know, we're part of the natural world. And I think technology has put a wedge at times between us and the natural world. I mean, so much so that, that um, people, well, there's a, a wonderful book called uh, Last Child in the in the, the Wilderness. And it's this whole idea about um, kids don't know how to go outside and play. And this one kid was asked, um, do you want to go outside? And he said, why? There's no outlets out there. <laughs> <laughs> It's a, you know, it's it's a it's comical, but it's sad too. So we um we definitely have um, some level, Jordan. This is basically a freedom versus responsibility uh, aspect to talk about. We've got the freedom to use this technology. You know, twenty four hours a day, we can we can click and know anything within you know a few seconds. It's amazing. It's it's wonderful. We can we can stream and binge watch you know all episodes of this is this is us or or the Game of Thrones or whatever new shows on these days. Um, but the question is, should we? And the answer is eh, <laughs> probably not all the time. We need to have some healthy boundaries. And and again, I want to come back and say that technology is not bad. We couldn't do this podcast without technology. Um, but we need to have some healthy boundaries with it because otherwise we give our power away and that leads to victimization and to more stress as opposed to trying to walk in balance. Yeah. Is there a 
number one question that your audience members, those who you train, those who you teach, is there a number one question they ask you about stress and mental health? And if there is, what's your answer? Um, yeah, great question. I, I don't know as if I have one question that comes up all the time. Um, it's, if, it, if there's a topic probably, and that is uh, how to find balance, how to, how to um, you know, whether it's self-care or whether it's work-life balance, it's, it's um, really about, I guess, how to find balance. And, and I, you know, I come back to healthy boundaries because we have to have the ability to say uh, enough or no, not right now. I need some time to unplug. And, and it's okay to do that. I think we need to have permission and, and realize we, we always have that permission to, to set some, some new boundaries, have some new goals, and then to work toward making them happen. So I, I think that technology is definitely a, uh, 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 a potential problem with a lot of people because they feel as if it's, I think that the term is the electronic leisure collar. Um, they're always tied to it. And I think that uh, they don't know how to turn it off. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of what you're saying brings up something important where stress reduction is concerned, where anxiety reduction is concerned, and that is that this takes some work. It's great if you learn a deep breathing technique or maybe you do a mindfulness exercise for the first time and you really latch onto it and it feels good and you love it. But I think in in many cases or, or for most people, it takes concerted effort and some time to think about all of these dimensions of our lives that do contribute to our stress levels, our difficulty sleeping, our moods, our relationships with other people. And I try to stress, no pun intended, to others that you know, stress reduction is really a lifelong process. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and to bring this kind of full circle to some of the most recent news, um, I heard uh, yesterday that there was a protocol at this school that had the shooting uh, with nine things to do, you know, from locking the door to, to this or that. They have nine things which they had, and none of them were done that day. And it reminds me of this wonderful quote I use a lot when I teach, and it goes like this, to know and not to do is not to know. You can know all the things to live a balanced life, but if you don't do them, what good are they? And I think, you know, one of my opening lines when I give a talk on stress management is this. Everything I'm going to say to you, you've already heard before, because everything I'm going to say to you is common sense. Common sense is not too common when we get stressed and we forget. So, so yet there is an element of we got to do some some uh, some work to this. It's not. I don't think it's it's really laborious. I think it's it's um it's essential. It's like brushing your teeth or taking a shower. And you know, I I see a lot of people. Um, if we fall back to the recovery model, a lot of people kind of live a life outside the boundaries, I'm going to call it. And then when they hit rock bottom, they're like, wow, I got to make some changes. And then they're all ears. <laughs> and I would say, don't wait to hit rock bottom. It's, it's not an it's not a, it's not a, a easy landing. Hmm. And good things can come from being challenged. Good things can come from being stressed and from really needing to figure stuff out. Out. I think sometimes there's a little too much focus on, you know, the one, two, three. We live in a one, two, three society, right? A, a, an immediate gratification world where people want things to work right away. But it's also okay to 
go through a stressful time and hopefully be aware of how you're feeling about it and then eventually what you did that worked to help you get out of it. Exactly. Yeah. I am, um, you know, I, I kind of had this personal data collection where I like to meet people and hear their stories and all the stories to me really simply fall into two categories, victim and victor. And the victim stories get old and I, I, I kind of like, I listen, but I don't um, gravitate toward those. I, I love the victor stories. And when I ask these people, you know, what'd you do to get through this? I, I'm, you know, I'm taking mental notes because I think if I get in the same position that you're in, I want to, I want to be like you. But every single person I talk to who's been through hell and back and come through gracefully has the same punchline to the story. They say, at the time I was going through this, I thought it was the worst thing that could have ever happened to me. And now I can honestly say it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And when I hear that, Jordan, I know I'm in the presence of grace. Beautiful. Yeah. But boy, when you're in it, it's hard, right? It's really hard to uh, see the see the positive. But yeah, wonderful if you can come out of it on the other side and, and feel good about it. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a lifetime. It takes work. It definitely takes work. And, you know, you haven't asked me my background, but I'll give you a little bit more if you want. Um, I was raised by two abusive alcoholic parents. And, and I, I jokingly say that the Freudians would say I got in this field because um, I couldn't save my parents. But the Jungians, and that's where I kind of fall into, would say, oh, you chose your parents for your life passion and, and, and purpose. And I, I think to myself, um, I'm not sure I really want to say I chose that, but at a conscious level, but I got, I did learn a lot from it. And, you know, you learn forgiveness, you learn um, boundaries again, you learn um, uh, all kinds of things about yourself. And that's, if I could wax poetic for a second, that's really what this life journey is about, to learn. Um, and some of the lessons are really tough. I mean, there's a, a wonderful quote that says, uh, life is a, uh, a really tough teacher because the lesson comes after the exam. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. You know, I'm glad you shared that. I appreciate that because I got into this I didn't know it at the time, but I got into this and then met you because I wound up in the health service complaining of lots of difficulty with eating and digestion and all of that stuff. But a, a very forward-thinking doctor, and I think we can say that looking back 35 years, said, you seem really stressed and we have this great stress management class on campus it's a it's a class for academic credit it's not just a one-off workshop it's a whole semester and maybe you should look into it and i did and i still remember that first day in class i i learned a deep breathing technique and it changed my life that day and now i can look back and say of course i was super stressed i i survived one of the largest brain tumors ever discovered when i was 10 years old and i had a significant visual impairment as a result and i tried to make it without getting the help i needed without talking to anyone about what i had gone through and all of the stress that i had experienced so it's no wonder i was experiencing those symptoms and I think no wonder that when I sat down in that class that first day and, you know, someone essentially said, hey, it's okay and totally normal and healthy not to be stressed all the time. They gave me the permission to do that, that it was such a release for me. And 
I loved it and I've never stopped. So thanks for, for talking a little bit more about how you came to this knowingly or unknowingly because it's the same for me. Yeah, that's a remarkable story. Thanks. I, I forgot that. <laughs> in the 40 years we know each other, I forgot that part of your history. <laughs> <laughs> we got to keep in touch <laughs> more regularly, right? Right. My conversation with Brian Luke Seward continues in the next episode when we get to that White House work, Luke's own stress management routine, and a calming technique that Luke leads in the Chill Factory's break room. And if you want even more about Luke, be sure to check the episode notes for his bio and resources, including the brand new creation that he's done for Audible called Above the Fray. Love that title. And it will be available during the week following the original air date of this episode. Did you notice that Luke is quick with excellent mind-shifting quotes that can make you think about life and how to live it? I thought I'd continue on with a few of my own favorites, and after I read them, I'll give you a second to see if you know who said them. If I cannot do great things, I can do small things in a great way. Martin Luther King Jr. Intelligence is the ability to adapt to change. Stephen Hawking. In the long run, the sharpest weapon of all is a kind and gentle spirit. Anne Frank. Perfect is boring. Human is beautiful. Tyra Banks. I am the one thing in life I can control. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Failure is the condiment that gives success its flavor. Truman Capote. Laughter is the shortest distance between two people. Yakov Smirnov. And I think this is my all-time favorite. People may forget what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Maya Angelou. By the way, we frequently post great quotes like this on the Chill Factory app to accompany the hundreds of other rapid relaxers already on there. You can download the Chill Factory app from the App Store or Google Play and enter the password WISDOM so that you and 25 other listeners can use all of the Chill Factory app's features for free for one year from the original post date of this episode. It's quitting time for this episode of The Chill Factory. I'm Jordan Friedman. Thanks so much for listening. We have more resources at thechillfactory.net, and you can leave a voice comment or question there. Just look for the blue tab on the right side of any site page. Be sure to subscribe or follow The Chill Factory so you'll know when new episodes are available. And if you liked something you heard on this or any episode, we'd love it if you rated or reviewed The Chill Factory wherever you get your podcasts.